0: to live in hope when we live in hope we find that it is a wonderful life it truly is a wonderful life if you will bear with me today for a few moments we hope not to keep you too long we know that we need to be here some will need to be here early today as the service does begin at two o'clock um Others may be getting here right before two, but I I understand that we do have some time constraints, so I try not to worry our patience, but the book of Titus, chapter two, uh, verses 11 through 15. While you're turning there, a man approached a little league baseball game one afternoon and. He looked at one of the kids in one of the dugouts and he asked what the score was. And the boy responded, 18 to nothing. Oh, we're behind. 18, nothing. And we're behind. The man looked at the little boy and he he said, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm sure this is discouraging. The boy then said to him, Why should I be discouraged? We haven't even gotten up the bat yet. (laughs) As a spectator of a game such as that, you would think, well, all hope is lost. As a player on a team that's 18 runs down, usually the only hope that you have is. To play different in the next game. Uh, However, there's usually that one player. (laughs) That one player who believes that we can do this. No matter how far behind you are, that one player who believes we got to continue to play hard. No matter how dark it may look, that one player who believes the game isn't over until the last out is made. (laughs) That one player believes there's always hope. The truth is in this life that we're living in, often we can find that our back is up against the wall. Often we wonder, what can we do? Often we contemplate, do we actually have any hope? Hope, by the world's understanding, is a wishful thinking. But scripture teaches us that hope is a certainty. The truth be known, if our only hope or our only certainty is in this world, then we're already miserable. But the apostle Paul reminds us here in the book of Titus, That God, through his grace, he has given us a certainty. He has given us a hope. When we look here in verses 11 through 15 in chapter 2, the Bible records, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that we might re- that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. This is God's holy word. God, as we thank you for your word, we pray that today when we leave here, that, God, we're filled with hope. Filled with the hope that there's a better life coming. And even while we're living in this sin-cursed world, knowing that we have hope through your son, Jesus Christ, it is still a wonderful life. Oh, God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy that you've given us. Now we ask that you would be with us, that you would hide me behind the cross, pour a fresh anointing And God, you speak to your people. Share the message you would have them to hear. And God, will give you glory for what's accomplished. And if there's one who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray that this would be the day that they call out to you and cry out, what must I do to be saved? For God, we know if they will believe in their heart that Jesus died for their sin, that if they would believe that he was raised from the grave, then God, they too can be saved. God, now have your way, and we'll praise you for what's accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we approach this text, we really need to understand what's taking place here in the book of Titus. I I don't think I've preached a message out of this book, but I want to just share with you what's going on in these first couple chapters. When we... It appears here that Paul's letter to Titus was actually written at a time between either his house arrest or his imprisonments. Paul has left Titus to pastor this church in Crete. And now he's writing to Titus to admonish him to set up leadership in order that the People in Crete, or the church in Crete, the believers in Crete would have a hope for a healthy, sound church. He writes, advising Titus. If you go through the first chapter, you find that he's advising Titus to set up elders, to appoint elders in the church—men who would who have been, who are a proven character, men who have their homes and their businesses um, in, in order, men who can oversee the look of the or the work of the church. In appointing these elders, Paul shares that they should have certain family and personal and, and preaching qualifications. And they should display these qualifications in their lives. In displaying these qualifications, the elders would distinguish themselves from false teachers who were trying to infiltrate the church. They would distinguish themselves for, from unbelievers who felt that they could come in and do what the believers were doing so we come to chapter two and we see that Paul continues by admonishing Titus to teach the believers to be to example the Christian life what we don't find is a laundry list of do's and don'ts that are intended to scare people into thinking that one mistake will keep them out of the portals of glory. Somebody should have. Somebody should have praised God right there, folks. Listen. Instead, what we find are responsibilities that are given to the believers in order to help others live their lives out for Christ, such as how older men should be examples for younger men, how older women. Should should be examples to younger women. Paul shares how Titus should teach young, men, young women and young men to live their lives in a way to where their families are not ashamed of them. Paul continues to share with Titus that he is to teach believers to serve their employees in such a way that testifies of Christ in their lives while even in the workplace. You know, every Bible-believing church, every Christ-centered church, every ministry-focused church needs godly leadership without godly leadership the church cannot move forward and reach its full kingdom potential now this may irritate some people this may rub some people the wrong way in thinking well I'm capable I'm educated and I've been saved well I want to remind us that time and time again history has proven that without godly leadership in the house of God we are all like sheep and we will go astray We'll go to our own devices. We'll do what we what seems right in our own minds and hearts rather than what the word of God says. We need godly leadership. We need seasoned leaders, men and women, being godly examples to young Christians and new converts. We need seasoned leaders, men and women, to be godly examples to young marriages and families. We need seasoned leaders, to be men and women, to be godly examples in the workplace. We need godly leaders in our churches so our young people will have a hope while living for Christ in this sin-cursed world. Now that Paul has admonished Titus to put ministers, godly leaders, or elders in place at the church in Crete, he tasked Titus with with the message that's to be preached. This is a message of hope. And while we can't find hope in this world, we do have hope in God's grace. When we look here through in verses 11 through 15, we can, we can really, in that first verse, in, in verse 11, we can see that God's grace provides hope for salvation. Now, what does God's grace actually mean? There's all sorts of acronyms for God's grace. And, and if you would just ask men grace means the favor or the blessings of one that one person bestows upon another person that's a show or an act of grace but God's grace means so much more than that God's grace is far greater than some acronym God's grace is the grace that brings salvation to you and I God's grace is the person of Jesus Christ God's gift as savior to the world God's grace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, folks, I want us to get that. If you don't get nothing else, God's grace is Jesus Christ Himself, and God extended his grace to the world. So God's grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, it reaches out to those who have rejected God, who have who are doing things they're own way who are living life their own way it, it reaches out to those who ignore and neglect God the Bible tells us in Romans 3 and 10 that there is none righteous no, not one aren't you glad that when you were in the midst of your mess that God's grace was a had approached you and shared you the love of Jesus Christ folks we all come short of God's glory So we don't deserve God's grace. We come short of God's glory in the fact that we sin. Now, there may be somebody listening on Facebook or YouTube today that thinks that you can go a day without sinning. Please keep reading God's word. (laughs) If you've got a preacher that has the audacity to tell you that you can live sinless a day in this world, find you a new preacher. Because he's doing nothing but deceiving you. Folks, we can't even trust our dreams. We can't trust ourselves when we're asleep. We can't trust ourselves when we're by ourselves. We can't trust ourselves at all. But we can trust Jesus. Folks, we all come short of God's glory because of sin. And it's because we sin that we die. And the glory of God's nature is the fact that he never dies. That's the glory of his nature. He lives forever. The shame of our nature is that we fall short in our nature. The shame or us falling short in in our nature is the fact that we die and though we die we do not cease to exist we will exist for all eternity We will go through a physical death where the body goes back to the dust in which it came from. We will do that. However, we will live for all eternity. The second death, the second death is a spiritual death. It doesn't mean you cease to exist, but you cease to ever be reconciled to a holy God. That's what death is. We live for eternity. Because of sin, because of us falling short of God's glory, because of our sin nature, we're doomed to a prison and a judgment of hell. And because we come short of God's glory, we come short of heaven. Heaven is a a perfect place. For perfect people. But the good news is. We have hope. Now I just said. There's none righteous. No not one. I just shared that we can't even go a day. Trusting. That we can live without sin. But we have hope. God's grace. The Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us hope. He has brought salvation to us. God's grace, the gift of his only begotten son, saves us from sin, death, hell, death and hell. When we do not, even though we do not deserve it, God loves us beyond our deserving. He has given his very own son for us. He has saved us. And he did this because he is gracious. His very nature is to bestow his favor and his blessings upon those who do not deserve it. Weren't you there? I was there. I was in such a mess I knew I couldn't help myself. And I believed in with all my heart that God wanted nothing to do with me. I was in such a mess. I wanted nothing to do with him. So why would he want anything to do with me? I didn't deserve his grace. I didn't deserve his son to die on a rugged cross for my sin. But he did anyway. <laughs> Jesus Christ brings salvation to us, and it's available to all men. All can be saved from sin. All can be saved from death. All can be saved from hell, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, because God's grace provides hope for salvation. Jesus came to die for the sin of the world. And if we we'll believe and confess him. We believe he is the sinless son of God, that he died for our sin. He arose on the third day and he's coming back to receive us. If we believe he is king of kings and Lord of lords, if we believe that he is savior of the world and we confess him as our Lord and savior, surrendering our lives to him, then we have a hope. We have a hope that's only provided by God's grace. But God's grace not only provides us hope for salvation. In verse 12, it provides us hope for sanctification. There he says that teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. God's grace, the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to deny ungodliness. Ungodliness is anything that does not honor reverence or worship toward God. It's to violate God's word and to go against his will. The grace of God, the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to deny ungodliness. Well, the grace of God our Lord Jesus Christ also teaches us to deny worldly lust Uh, the worldly lusts are the possessions of of this world it's the desires for sensual or, or selfish pleasures in the world it's the desire for things that we would never want God to see in our lives the grace of God the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to deny and to give up and to turn away from any and everything that would that we that would not that we would not want to present before God when we do stand before Him. God's grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, it teaches us to deny all ungodliness and all worldly lust, But it teaches us to actually live soberly, righteously, and godly. Uh, to, to live soberly is to live self controlled. It's to live disciplined. It's never given into excess. It's never given into the lust of wanting more and more. It's controlling everything and using it for the proper purpose. Living righteously is doing the right thing. It's treating others like we should. It's doing good to them and giving them their due share. Living godly is to live in the consciousness that God actually lives within us. That we are the very temple of God and we are living just like God says to live, obeying all things that he's commanded us to obey and when we think about scripture when we look through the scriptures we find a great example of this we find that example in Joseph Joseph reminds me of a life that's lived denying ungodly and worldly lust he he lived a life that was sober righteous and godly Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers he became a servant of Potiphar's house however God's hand was upon Joseph and everything that he touched was made to prosper so Potiphar having the wisdom that God had given him he made Joseph the overseer of his entire home and it would it would have uh, and when Joseph was made overseer of the house of, of Potiphar, Potiphar's wife caught a glimpse of Joseph. She started liking what she saw, and, and she set her sights on having him. It would have been easy for him to live in, uh, to give in to ungodliness and the worldly lust. But Joseph instead behaved soberly, righteously, and godly, rejecting all the advances of Potiphar's wife, even though she became relentless and devised a plan to seduce him, Joseph still denied her seduction. And because of his denial, Potiphar's wife set him up to be thrown in prison. Joseph went to prison knowing he could stand before God and know that he behaved righteously, soberly, and godly. He had nothing to be ashamed of when he stood before God. Well, you know, a sanctified life, is just what Joseph lived. And that's, a, that's a, just a different life. It's a different life than, when we, than before when we got saved. It's a life that's set apart from Christ. But it's a life that our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to live. Some people have the misconception that when they get saved, they ought to just know how to live for the Lord. The Bible tells us right here That God, that Jesus, God's grace has to teach us how to live for him. We have the tendency to want to tell other believers what they're doing wrong. (laughs) You know, there's a problem with that. The problem with that is that we don't want others telling us what we're doing wrong. It's not our job to correct people. It's our job to pray for people. It's our job to, to live out a life as an example to people. It's our job to, to live out a life to where people see our lives and they want a life like ours, reflecting in Jesus Christ. It's our job to live a life that is sober, righteous, and godly, And if we as leaders are going to give instructions to others to live by, those instructions should be from the very word of God. It shouldn't be our opinion. It shouldn't be what we think. It shouldn't be what makes sense to us. It should be the holy word of God. we spend time, You know, God teaches us through his word and he teaches us through his spirit. And when we spend time in his word and allow his word to penetrate our hearts, we're spending time with Jesus and we're allowing Jesus to teach us. And as we're allowing Jesus to teach us, he's molding us to becoming more like the image of Christ. And when we go astray, which we will do, (laughs) it's just in our nature. We have two natures that are warring against one another. We have a sin nature and we have a God nature. And the sin nature just wants to do what it wants to do. And the God nature wants us to live for him and not to ourselves. So from time to time, we may find that we stumble we fall. We give in to the sin nature. Well, the Holy Spirit begins to teach us. You know, the Holy Spirit that was quickened within us, that was made alive at salvation, that Holy Spirit begins to convict our hearts. You know, the word convict, it doesn't mean condemn. He doesn't condemn us. He convicts us. In other words, what he does is he convinces us or he Proves to us that we're guilty. (laughs) That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's His job. And the Holy Spirit convicts us and then He guides us back. Onto the path of righteousness. Many are afraid. There are many out there who say that I can't live the Christian life. Well, I want to assure you: on your own, you cannot live the Christian life. Me, and but our hope, our certainty for living a sanctified life, a Christian life, lies not in our power, but in the grace that God has provided for us. Our certainty, our hope of living sanctified, living the Christian life is that Jesus Christ will teach us and that we will follow him. Outside of that, we can't live it. He has to lead us and he has to guide us. So in other words, we got to set ourselves aside and we got to be willing to follow after him. And when we stumble, we don't lay there and wallow. We get up. We Ask him to forgive us of our sins, which he already has done. But we ask him to forgive us of our sins and we continue following him. Yes, God's grace provides us hope for sanctification. Provides us hope that we're not the same person we used to be. And you know what? I've learned this. If we reflect on our lives, if we just think back to who we were before we were saved. We're a different people. We're not the same as we used to be. I'm talking about those who've received Jesus as Lord and Savior. As a matter of fact, when I think back of 20 years, I'm not the same person I was then. When I think back of 15 years ago, I'm not the same person I was then. When I think back of five years ago, I'm not the same person. I was then. And I pray that when I think back of last month, I'm not the same person I was then. Serving and following after Christ will change our lives. If we will allow him to teach us, he will mold us into himself. Or to be like him. If we look here in this passage, in verse 13, we find that not only does God's grace provide us hope for salvation and sanctification, but we find that God's grace provides us hope for our Savior's return. There in verse 13, we see Paul says, Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ are not two different things. The blessed hope or the certainty is the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has said he's coming back. (laughs) And we can count on the fact that he's coming back. That's a certainty. He, we, he will appear again. He will appear in all glory and majesty. All the glory and majesty of his being. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the Bible tells us, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. That is going to be such a glorious time that the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who may be alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Oh, the question has been, what is so blessed about his return? For those who believe in Jesus, we will be filled with joy, happiness, beyond what our eyes have ever seen, beyond what our ears have ever heard, and beyond what's ever entered into our hearts. When we think of of being united with Jesus, the one who left the portals of glory to become the spirit, perfect spotless lamb of God when we think of his return to receive us to himself oh how glorious that's going to be when we think of being reunited with our loved ones who's gone on before us and being transformed in the moment in the blink of an eye and and, uh, giving us a brand new body where we'll be able to see Jesus just as he is Listen it'll be so glorious that we won't worry about what size he gave us. We won't worry about the color of hair we have. We won't worry about about whether we whether we're old or young, whether we whether we're we're walking fast or walking slow. It'll be such a glorious time that we can see Jesus for who he is. It's a time when our faith becomes sight. A time where we're spending eternity in a place where all things have been made new. It's a time where we'll be in his presence, basking around his throne for all eternity. Oh, <laughs> folks, God's grace has provided us a hope for his return. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to his return i want to continue live living in this world I, I want to but i'm ready for him to return right now if he says it's time i'm okay if he says it wait a while i'm okay either way i've won this race i've won this battle the devil can't win i've won this because it's going to be a glorious time When I see him, and until then, it's going to be a wonderful life living for him. Folks, the grace, God's grace has provided us a hope for their Savior's return. You know, this is the message that Paul tasked Titus to preach. He tasked Titus to make sure the elders of the church preached this message. He tasked us to make sure that they understood sound doctrine and that they preached the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That there is a message of hope. He looked upon the people and said they need to be filled with hope and it only comes through the grace of God and the grace of God is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God looked upon us and he saw that we were dead in the trespass of our sins he saw we were eternally separated from him and in our sin we could not be reconciled to a holy God so in his desire to have a relationship with us he extended his grace to us he sent his only begotten son into the world to be the once and for all ultimate sacrifice for the sin of the world Jesus died so we could be forgiven of our sins and we would never have to taste the sting of death but he didn't just die for our sins he arose on the third day conquering death hell and the grave giving us victory over our last enemy which is death when we believe that Jesus died and rose again, when we confess him as our Lord and Savior, when we, uh, the Holy Spirit's made alive within us to lead guide, and direct us and he leads us to live our lives in expectation of the return of our Lord and Savior. So I want to ask this question, just in case there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, do you want to live A wonderful life. Do you want to live in hope? Do you want to live in certainty? All you need to do is receive the grace that God has extended to you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. That grace is Jesus Christ. Well, preacher, I don't deserve it. Neither did I. Preacher, I can't live it. Neither can I. Preacher, I don't know what to do. That's simple. Do you believe that Jesus is the very son of God? That he left heaven and he came to earth and he gave his life for you? Do you believe that if you ask him to forgive you of your sins, that he will? That he's faithful and just? to do just that if you do the hard part is behind you and the easy part is to receive God's grace to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that's the easy part my question is are you ready to today while hearts are praying all over this building if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior would you pray this with me Lord I know I am a sinner and I know I have no hope without you God I believe that you loved me and you sent your son to this world to die for me He gave his life to be the sacrifice for my sin. He died willingly to give me life. He arose from the grave in his own power to give me victory. So God, right now, I believe Jesus is Savior. And God, I confess my sins to you. And God, upon the authority of your word, because I'm repenting of my sins. I believe you're faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. That right now, you've separated my sins from me as far as the east is from the west. God, I receive Jesus as my Savior. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you for giving me your grace. Now allow your grace to teach me how to live for you. In Jesus' name, I give my life. Amen. Oh, if you've prayed that prayer and you believed it with all your heart, And you're convinced today that you are a born-again believer. You walked in this place lost, but now you're going to leave found. You you walked in dead, but you're going to leave alive. If you've received Jesus as your Savior, while they sing this song of invitation, will you come and tell me? Just come and share it with me.